0: Hi everybody, welcome to week three of Prophets Then and Now. Um, And we've got one more Walter Brueggemann from you, for you, to open tonight, but from a different book. So we're gradually expanding our Brueggemann. That's right. So... Welcome, these words to call us together, from our brother Walter. Hope must be told in image, in figure, in poem, in vision. It must be told sideways, told as one who dwells with others in the abyss. And this from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Actually, I'm going to need some help with that one. I, I, I wrote the same thing twice. And I don't know which one is which. I realize right now I wrote the same quote twice. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Well, and so I want us to have the other one, whatever it is. But I now have no idea which is which. There you go. That's Abraham. All right, forgive it. You're going to credit the second one, or sorry, the first and second one, to Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Oh, it is. Wow. I'm so glad I'm doing this right now. All right, this from the rabbi: To pray is to dream in league with God, to envision His holy visions. All that to get us started in a week, we're going to be talking about dreams and visions. Um, If you haven't tracked with us through the first couple of weeks of this prophecy, then and now Molly gave us a lovely overview of sort of. The Old Testament prophets situated in a historical context. And last week um, we were talking um, about so it was. I'm, I'm not yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place right now. Jeremiah and Synax, yes, and Bree Newsome among other things. And this week, Dreams and visions, and we're going to do two more on prophetic uh, proclamation and political action. But kind of breaking up those thematically to get at maybe some of the breadth, of what the prophets have to offer and where those prophets might find echoes in contemporary figures. So, we've got something really lovely put together with you this evening. Susan and Band are gonna take us through some dreaming visions musically and a couple of different dreams and visions possibilities. But glad you're here for part of it. Uh, I'm gonna do this song and then I'm gonna go upstairs. I get to do Amos with the middle school kids and I just want to say, if you want to come upstairs, we would welcome you. Or actually, we'll open public statements um, and consider whether or not we would hear witnesses on whether or not you might be able to come upstairs with us. But one of the votes is already sort of locked down for this anyway. It's a complicated process. But if you do want to come, I'm happy to consult my colleagues and we'll, we'll see if you're allowed to come upstairs. But before we do that, Let's let's sing this song that we've been doing a great job of the past couple weeks.
1: Open up our ears
0: to listen, open up our eyes to see. having set the bar exceedingly low, I'm going to pass this off to Molly. So, and head upstairs to talk about Eamon.
2: All right. Um, Yeah, Rachel, who has been so wonderful and such a gift with our kids is touring Divinity Schools this week and next. So Ben is upstairs this week and I will be upstairs next week. And we are both Really looking forward to that. Before we get into the community question for the night and yeah, more of our evening, are there any announcements or things happening in the life of our community or Durham that we want folks to know about? I do know, one, that... This week, the pastor search team, uh, our job description for our new bivocational pastor hire um, is going live this week. And so I'm sure someone on the search team will be pointing folks to that job description so you all might share it with someone that you, within your networks, um, and people that you would hope would apply but they have worked really really hard on coming up with i think a really excellent job description um and we're hopeful for who will come to us any other announcements or things going on all righty well it's kind of hard to like follow after the anyway the opening um, so our community question for tonight, I've kind of been going back and forth between a question and a prayer, and I really see these answers offered in this space um, as prayers to a God who hears us and sees us and is at work in what we are sharing. Um, but To get us started, what's a dream or vision you've had or been invited into that made you reshape aspects of your living? Another typo there, our apologies. But what's a dream or vision you've had or been invited into? Take that any which way you would like. That made you reshape aspects of your living.
1: I set our marriage.
2: Your marriage? Do you want to elaborate a little bit? No?
1: I I just think it's a very different vision that I have for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, said 20, I mean, I just. Yeah. I was was doing what I had to do to kind of make ends meet as a single person. And
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. How marriage is a vision that we change our lives for and also, right, as we do life with someone and how life unfolds. Often our visions and dreams are shifted, but together, yeah. Thanks for that, Susan. Others. What's a dream or vision you've had or been invited into that made you reshape aspects of your living?
3: So, I have a lot of dreams that come true. Mm. Um, sometimes they're, like, metaphorical, and sometimes it's, like, exactly. Like, I knew Aaron was going to propose to me because I had a dream about it. And uh-huh. I had a dream about, like, exactly the time you So I'm mm-hmm. like, I know what's happening. Just tell me. Like, I like ruined really, like, it completely Because <laughs> um, I told him I had everybody. Yeah. Um But even recently, I had a dream about, like, two snakes in our backyard. And then, like, some things at work happen with two particular people. me
2: mm. But I was kind of like, huh, oh, what, what are these snakes? Like, what does they represent? And then mm. kind of this worst thing happened, like within like forty-eight hours. Mm. So um, kind of, right, like dreams opening up space for how they are connected to yeah, your yeah, daily exactly. living
3: in life. If I had been on some kind of alert, it would have really blindsided me. I
4: think mean, that had been a closer sort of risk.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm always um. I'm not one who really remembers her dreams, so I'm always really envious of people that can, because I do think there is a lot that is revealed to us in our dreams in our subconscious that enlighten and illumine different aspects of our living. Others? Yeah, please. We have time. Yeah. Go for it.) <laughs>
5: sink a lot of money into uh, car this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and owning a car is not something I even want to do. Mm-hmm. I feel very coerced into mm-hmm. owning a vehicle because you're kind of a second-class citizen if you don't have one. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, something like car ownership is a, a dream that feels coerced. It's a dream mm-hmm. of reality and how the world is constructed I and mean, we're, I I'd say that's invited a, into it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We
2: don't want to be in it. Yeah, 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 I would say that that's probably a dream of what the prophets would say, right? A dream of the empire that we are invited into, but not really a dream or a vision of the prophets or of an alternative way of being. But yeah, those dreams are really real. And it was
5: someone's dream once upon a time.
2: Totally. You know, this world
6: like it
2: is. Yeah. But I would
7: say, you Neil, know, your dream, is that no one would have a car, and so you guys have oriented your life around, you know, ways to minimize using the car, and, and I think that's really helpful. How... Mm. Sometimes we're more successful
2: than others. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this week didn't feel so successful. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Think one for me. So whenever I was 15, I was at summer camp. I know we all have a lot of thoughts about Christian summer camp. Uh, this was a good one on the grand scheme. Um, but I did. I had a vision that I was called to ministry at 15. And I was terrified. And I think some of that camp, they have a real emphasis on supporting different missions around the globe because one of the founder's families, she grew up as a missionary's kid. And so I remember watching this where our like, offering was going, it was going to Kenya. And my mom was a chaperone and I lean over to her and I said, Mom, I think like all week, like I just think that there's this vision that like I am called to be a pastor and I think I might be called to be a pastor in Africa. And my mom said, honey, you were called, but you were not called to the continent of Africa. And so, and so it kind of became this joke, right, of like a mom's immediate response, like heck no, um, but it was in that moment at 15, I mean, it took me a long time to fully lean into that, another seven or eight years. Um, but I thought, yeah, maybe I am called actually to pastor. Um, and I'm forever thankful for that vision and for that space at camp that gave that to me and for that space of a camp that allowed me to have a vision and space in a non-coercive way. Um, because I think a lot of visions and dreams for young people can sometimes um, yeah feel coercive. So
1: yeah, so one time when I was trying to decide I um was offered a tenure track at Kentucky UK and I um was deciding where to go and we pretty much pretty packed our bags. Mm-hmm. Like, we were ready to go, and I just really felt like I had a kind of, I was awake, but it was just like, you need to not go, this is not for you. and yeah. you need to figure out who you're going to live here differently, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it really shaped our lives
2: <laughs> in a huge way. Yeah. yeah, I'm thankful that you didn't go, for sure, for sure. Well, tonight, um, we're going to talk about visions and dreams and the prophets, And visions and dreams, right, they can be unsettling at times. Um, They can be unpredictable. Some visions and dreams, to Neil's point, right, can kind of be oppressive or coercive or forced. Um, Often visions and dreams might be something we try to dismiss or brush to the side. And yet, the prophets remind us and perhaps even some of our lived experience, the more that we think about moments in our life when we've had a feeling or a vision or a dream that it can be out of the very visions and dreams that the liberating, loving, restorative, alternative futures for our lives and for our world that come from God are best understood. Throughout history, Though I think, maybe not for y'all, but I often, throughout history and just throughout my life, am deeply thankful for people that can speak into or speak about a vision and a dream that I might want to too easily dismiss. And it's especially powerful, I think, that prophets in particular, as we've been looking at them, speak have and speak visions and dreams, not outside of hardship and empire (laughs) and just life being painful and complicated and unfolding in ways that we did not expect, but that they spoke and continue to speak and see visions and dreams in the very midst of the hard, and in the very midst of the empire, and in the very midst of the broken, and in the very midst of the pain, and saying, hey, here's another way. And it is so many prophets, visions, and dreams that have allowed a fuller picture of an alternative future of beloved, restorative, life-giving community of the space for us to ask and say, hmm, maybe we're being invited to stay and live in a different way. More often than not, um, these visions and dreams of the prophets, which we will see some tonight as we've been talking about over the past few weeks, creatively point out criticism as well as point to the energizing promises of God's alternative futures. And sometimes they're unsettling, and sometimes one vision and dream might resonate more than another, or sometimes a vision and dream might make us or those that were hearing these prophets' words more deeply uncomfortable, but all of them are pointing to alternative futures that we are still invited into. And so tonight, um, through music and reflections of prophets old and new and communal conversation, we're gonna open this space to think and hear and feel not only about what dream or vision we've had that has shaped us or been told about that has reshaped us or perhaps feels oppressive to us, But what unfolding visions and dreams out of these songs that Suze and the band have carefully curated and out of these three different prophets, all of which are pointing to different alternative futures of God, what is the invitation for us in that? What are the ways of being that we are being invited into you, not only through these reflections and songs, but what are the ways of being we are being invited into as people who are open to the fact that visions and dreams point us to a fuller understanding of God and a fuller understanding of life and life to the full that is outside and away from all that feels so heavy and painful and hard. Once we come back um, from passing of the piece, I want you to hold on to this question. What's so necessary about visions and dreams? If you want to think about another question, how might we respond or continue to respond to the very visions and dreams proclaimed by these prophets who are inviting us, even now in this space, into an alternative way. We're gonna pass the peace of Christ with one another. Joy brought fabulous snacks, um, and I'll get us started back in just a moment. Um, But yeah, pass the peace of Christ, and then we'll get started with what's so necessary about visions and dreams. All right. If everyone would work their way back to the middle. Um, and how this first part's going to work, as you all are thinking about what's so necessary about visions and dreams, is different voices from the community right where they are. We'll be reading different reflections. And Sue's and band will intersperse with song. And Julia is going to get us started.
4: A Vision and Dream for Life Out of Death, Ezekiel and the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel prophesied during the exilic period and was from a priestly family. Because of his social standing, he is included among the elite of the land who were deported from Judea to Babylon. It is in Babylon where Ezekiel had many visions and dreams that he shared with those also exiled. As a prophet, his visions, dreams, and prophecies really work in three ways. Judgment on Jerusalem, judgment on foreign nations, and consolation for Jerusalem. Many believe Ezekiel was a literary virtuoso, the most accomplished prophetic writer. The vividness and intensity of his writings, combined with his unique visionary experiences, make the book of Ezekiel stand out within the prophetic corpus. Ezekiel's captivating use of dramatic imagery and expansive vocabulary add an undeniable richness to his pronouncements. One of the most memorable visions is that of a valley of dry bones, that comes after Ezekiel's visions of destruction of Jerusalem. In this vision, he does not suggest that the individual dead will come back to life, but only that the whole house of Israel will be restored, both north and south. But Ezekiel was a visionary, and visionaries seldom have the power to implement policy, and his vision never fully came to fruition. Though some of his visions made it into aspects of seven, the second temple of Judaism, what are we to do as a people of God hearing this vision, this valley of dry bones? The word of the Lord from the book of Ezekiel.
3: The hand of
4: the Lord
8: came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live?" I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds of breath and Breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to
3: me,
7: Mortal, these bones are the
8: whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up. Hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord.
9: One of the popular theories about what is happening when we are dreaming, I'm sure you've heard this, is that we are rehearsing oftentimes. We are rehearsing either tasks that we're going to have to do, or maybe we are practicing some emotional response. Uh, Maybe it's something that becomes very obvious very quickly, um, or maybe it's something that's just farther back in our evolution um, as, as animals getting ready for life. Um, and so in this passage, he is made to practice, right? He's made to practice on these dry bones, something that he is going to have to go out and do. And so we paired this with the song Orange Sky because I, you know, I find the image of the orange sky in the song... Pretty, uh, I don't know what it means, <laughs> right? What does he mean? I mean? He says he's standing underneath an orange sky. But this dream for him points him towards a very specific, very specific clarity and truth that sort of breaks through in the chorus.
6: Beneath an orange sky, with my sister standing by, with my sister standing.
10: Her vision to describe this feature of her experience and recognized that it was a gift that she could not explain to others. Hildegard wrote of how she saw all things in the light of God through the five senses, sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch. Throughout her life, she continued to have many visions, and in 1141, at the age of 42, Hildegard received a vision she believed to be an instruction from God to write down that which you see and hear. Out of that insistent vision, she wrote her first and most famous visionary work, Sivius, which means know the ways. In Sivius, Hildegard offers a series of 26 visions. She clearly understands that the visions are not solely for her benefit, nor are they primarily devotional material. She works to interpret and convey prophetically, vision by vision, God's desire for wholeness, not only in the life of the church, but also in the world and throughout the entire cosmos. But that was just the first of three visionary works Hildegard produced. The expansive visions and writings of Hildegard, however, points us not to an extravagant life, but one that is as simple and as complicated as opening our eyes to the presence of God, who is always with us, opening our hearts to receive the word that God has for us, and opening our hands to participate in the healing of the world. In the words of Jan Richardson, Hildegard, and other visionary, prophetic, mystic women invite us to ask, How do we seek God? Where do we perceive the presence of the holy? How far are we willing to go to find it, sense it, live it? A
1: vision. Then I saw a bright light, and in this light the figure of a man, the color of sapphire, which was all blazing with a gentle glowing fire. And that bright light and the glowing fire poured over the whole human figure, so that the three were one light and one power of potential, a vision. Wherefore, in this mountain you may see many little windows in which appear human heads, some of subdued color and some white. For in the most high, profound, and perspicuous knowledge of God, the aims of human acts cannot be concealed or hidden. Most often they display both lukewarmness and purity, since people now slumber in guilt, weary in their hearts and in their days, and now awaken and keep watch with honor. Solomon bears witness to this, (coughs) saying, the slothful hand has brought about poverty, but the hand of the industrious man prepares riches, which means a person makes himself weak and poor if he will not work justice, or avoid wickedness, or pay a debt, remaining idle in the face of wonders, of, in the face of the wonders of the works of beatitude. But one who does strong works of salvation, running in the way of truth obtains the upwelling fountain of glory, by which he prepares himself most, pre- most precious riches on earth and in heaven. Therefore, whoever has knowledge in the Holy Spirit and means of faith, let this one not ignore my, ap- my admonition, but taste it, embrace it, and receive it in his soul.
9: I don't feel like I have to do a lot of work to connect strawberry fields with Hildegard. <laughs> But, um, I do think that one aspect of dreams and visions, uh, that comes up with, in the life of Hildegard and, um, also often in the Bible is that, uh, visions are scary to regular folk, right? Like this is when someone comes and tells you they've seen something, our first response is to be skeptical of it, to protect ourselves from, you know, someone who's maybe trying to influence us or tell us lies, uh... You know, that's before we even start jumping to conclusions about like mental health, right? Um, and so we have all these judgments that we levy against people with visions. So maybe I should say, in tribute to Hildegard, Strawberry Fields.
6: Let me take you down, cause I'm going.
7: In 1964, Jean Vanier decided to foster a dream, a vision, for a more equitable community, and upon becoming aware of the plight of thousands of people institutionalized with developmental disabilities, Vanier invited two men, Raphael Simi and Philippe Sou, to leave the institutions where they resided and live with him in troisley Brule, France. Their time together led to the establishment of L'Arche large today is in 38 countries on five continents and serves as a sign of hope in a divided world. There are 153 communities and 21 community projects seeking to listen and respond to a local need. There are now 10,000 members with and without disabilities living in Vanier's vision and dream that began in 1964, working together for a more human society. In the words of his friend Francis Young, Jean would never claim any great achievement for himself, yet there can be no doubt that his work and dream has produced a kind of prophetic sign, pointing to new possibilities for the global human community. At the heart of John's thinking is the recognition that peace means an ability to welcome those who are different. What components of the prophetic vision John had long ago still needs to permeate and penetrate our world and the invitation into an alternative way of thinking, living, and being? Not, I from prophetic
3: vision. Until we realize that we belong to a common humanity, that we need each other, that we can help each other, we will continue to hide behind feelings of leadership and superiority and behind the walls of prejudice, judgment, and disdain because As we start to really get to know others, we begin to listen to each other's stories. Things begin to change. We no longer judge each other according to the concepts of power and knowledge, or according to identity, but according to these personal heart-to-heart encounters. We begin the movement from exclusion to inclusion, from fear to trust, from closeness to openness, from judgment and prejudice to forgiveness and understanding. It's a movement of the heart. We begin to see each other as brothers and sisters in humanity. We are no longer governed by fear but by the heart.
5: The excluded, I believe, lives certain values that we all need to discover and to live ourselves before we can become truly human. It is not just a question of performing good deeds for those who are excluded, but of being open and vulnerable to them in order to receive the life that they can offer. It is to become their friends. If we start to include the disadvantaged in our lives and enter into heartfelt relationships with them, they will change things in us. They will call us to be people of mutual trust, to take the time to listen and be with each other. They will call us out from our individualism and need for power and to belong to each other and being open to others. They will break down the prejudices and protective walls that give rise to exclusion in the first place. They will then start they will then start to affect our human organizations, revealing new ways of being and walking together. So the one-way street, where those on top tell those at the bottom what to do, what to think, and how to be, becomes a two-way street, where we listen to what they, the outsiders, the strangers, have to say, and we accept what they have to give, that is, a simpler and more profound understanding of what it means to be truly human. If we start to see the people at the bottom as friends, and people with gifts to bring others, then the social pyramid with its powerful, the knowledgeable, and the wealthy on top becomes a place of belonging where each person finds their place and where each must live in mutual trust. Is this a utopian vision? Maybe. But if it is lived at the grassroots level, in families, communities, and other places of belonging, then the vision can gradually permeate our societies and humanize them. Jean-Brun Vignier.
9: So, Jamanier lived as if his vision was real before anybody else was on board. You know, between the receiving of the vision before seeing the world as different, uh, between that and between, you know, L'Arche being in dozens of cities uh, around the world and being something that... Uh, you know, a model that now people model new things off of, right? Between those two things, there was a man who had to actually live as if his vision was real. Um, and I think, you know, that's a huge part of the Christian life. We talk about that all the time, right? That like, oh, well, we live in the kingdom that is now. We get to live as, as if we live in the kingdom right now. We don't have to be constrained by anything, any of the bad things of this world. Um, and so uh, we chose Call It Dreaming because of the way that um, it just kind of says, you know, we can weep and call it singing. We can just go ahead and look at reality and say, well, it's going to be this, so we'll just go ahead and live like it's true right now.
6: Where we see enough to follow We can hear when we are hollow Where we keep the light we're given We can lose and call it living Where the sun isn't only sinking fast.
2: six prophets, Ezekiel, Alexi Murdoch, Hildegard, the Beatles, Jean Varnier, and Iron and Wine, how they sat individually for you as visions and dreams, how they sat and are sitting as a compilation What's so necessary for our lives, for our living, about visions and dreams in the here and now?
10: It's not really one of the six you mentioned, but it goes back to the Walter Fruggemann quote. Yeah. Maybe two weeks ago, that to paraphrase, or at least what I got out of it was, like we need visions and dreams like we're really good at creating things and implement. We're really good at implementing things, but you really need the the dreamers and the visionaries to dream up what the next thing is. Yeah, and
2: to sort of point and paint and create a different way that we can come alongside. Yeah, for sure, right? Because if Sean like. If he wouldn't have said, hey, I'm going to go live with these two people, there would, yeah, be no L'Arche, right? And no beloved community throughout the world in that way. Others. What's so necessary about visions and dreams sitting on the edge of these reflections and prophets?
3: visions and dreams as like a means of freedom yeah. um, and liberation. And in her sense, it varies, like
7: real, like it's yeah. not a metaphor. Yeah.
3: Um, and how she had to lean in and trust that whatever she saw was how she was going to go and be alright. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's what kind of, I guess it's also like a faith walk to have yeah. visions and dreams something in that kind of way.
2: Um, To not run from them, but to follow, right? And to lean in.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Because you could have said, no, that was just some weird dream. This is the way I know. Yeah. But the ways that she may have relied on could
2: have got her killed. For sure. Thanks for that, Alan. (laughs) I think that there, yeah, there is a boldness that is necessary to not only be a person who has a vision and dream and follow it and commit to it, but to see someone who has had or is speaking a vision and dream and to come alongside. Because a lot of people are probably going to think it's just, yeah, inconceivable or try to write it off or write you off. Thanks for that, Alan. Others, what's so necessary? about visions and dreams.
8: Seems like they're crucial to beat back despair, right? Like, um, if you're in the pit, then you have to have some vision of what it would be to be out of the pit in order to um, believe that the way things are don't
4: always.
2: But it is, yeah, we have to, yeah, visions and dreams are crucial. And
4: then the thing,
2: yeah. I think of it as like permission to imagine better. Like yeah. other people's visions and dreams
11: give people around them permission
2: to imagine better. Yeah, thanks for that, Russell. Because I think, great, right, like all the... We were talking in the money conversation upstairs. I mean, there are just so many things that are taking our time and stealing our imagination and our thought that it really does take in the pits of despair or just in daily living visions and dreams to remind us that this is not how it has to be and we can, in fact, imagine better. And that we are allowed, right, and have the invitation to do so. Others, what's bubbling up for you around the prophets and visions and dreams and why they are so necessary?
1: I've been reading um, one of the books that um, Anir wrote, Mm -hmm. and what struck me was that he came from a family of quite privilege and is a very military family and when he decided that he wanted to live like the poor, he went to his family and told them, "This is what this is what I want to do. I have a vision for this," and they supported him. Mm-hmm. And that struck me because I think we have to be careful that when people share their visions and dreams with us, that we don't just poo-poo it and go, "Oh, that's crazy," mm-hmm. you know, because we might just be, you know, keeping God's hand
2: from doing. I, can do it. No yeah. I think great to not so easily dismiss those in our midst that come, or those that we hear about. Their visions and dreams. Thanks for that, Joy. Any other thoughts? I'll just
7: reflect on. Clinton and I went, went out to Polly
2: Murray's yeah. house today as a the first hour. And what strikes me about her biography? I knew a lot of it,
11: but. I really kind of meditated on timing, and she was kind of before mm-hmm. everything. We look back now yeah. and see her as, you know, the first African-American female Episcopal priest, um, someone who was arrested in 1940 for sitting on the back of the bus, or sitting at the front of the bus, um, someone who was pretty openly out with
5: her, Partner,
11: Way well, before <laughs> yeah. anyone would have accepted that. Um, someone who you know founded the National Organization of Women, and there's a quote. You know, I, I don't know if that's included in what you provided us, Molly, or in the signage there, but of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg saying that <coughs> what you know what she was beginning to fight in the 1970s. The more she read Polly Murray, she realized Pauli Murray was fighting in the 1940s. Yeah. Um, but And and even her publications, like her collected works don't seem to get published in the 1970s, things she was writing 30 years earlier. Mm -hmm. So she wrote for something and spoke at a time and lived a life at a time, that it wasn't Mm until 30 years Mm -hmm. later or 40 or 50, or here I am, 80 years later, (laughs) finally coming to appreciate um, these things that she was articulating in the 1940s. So that's just what struck me from that. And it goes back to, I think Joel said something about this a couple weeks ago. um, Someone who seems crazy in their own time. If only we
2: would believe them, right? If we'd only believe them, right? And be like, come alongside. Or be like, oh wait, you actually, this is it. You know, not what's happening over here. Yeah, it's so, so true. I think um, the question that I will leave for you all and something that I've been thinking about and thinking of different prophets and visions and dreams and these here and the so many others that aren't, is what if the alternative future that we're being invited into is to actually not only see someone proclaiming or living into a vision and dream, but drawing near enough to believe and come alongside. And not being 40 years right too late or 80 years too late and reflecting back and being like, well, man, if only we had known, right? Um, there have been and there are, I think, prophets in our midst inviting us into beloved alternative futures. If only we would see and draw near. Just kind of follow them and see where it goes. It might just, I think, bring some of us out of some really deep pits of despair in which we find ourselves and give ourselves permission to imagine differently. Come back next week as we continue to creatively talk about the prophets. Remember, at 4 o'clock, 4 to 5.15, because there's a really big game on TV at 6 or 6.30, I don't even know what time it starts, but... Um, we will have our worship gathering at 4 o'clock next week because Emmaus Way remembered the Super Bowl. So,
9: In that vein of, uh, you know, living, maybe living into the vision 80 years before anybody gets what you're talking
6: about. <laughs> I went up to the mountains Because you asked me to, up over the clouds, to where the sky was blue, I could see all around me, I could see all around me Everywhere Sometimes I feel like I ain't never been nothing but tired And I'll be walking Till the day Then I go on again because you asked me to. Some days I Just over Um, Yes, somewhere.
2: Sometimes visions and dreams and following them and those who have proclaimed them and live into them is hard, because we don't really think they're real. But every week, we come around a very real, tangible table of a vision and a dream. That there is always enough. That love is at the heart of everything that there is a God of abundance and liberation inviting us to come and be a part. That is the table I invite you to tonight, one of a vision and a dream in which you are already a part. And I hope as you break bread and pour wine for one another, or juice, or give a gluten-free cracker, that you are emboldened to think Maybe I can go follow and be about another prophet, another vision and dream too, because I'm already a part of one really powerful, life-changing one. So let us come to the table. Break bread and pour wine. I think everyone here knows the deal. Um, but if you don't, if you forget grape juice in the dark green, wine is in the brown one. Let us come to the table.